0: Scripture in this morning will be read from Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For six hours on a Friday, a man hung between two thieves, and as he hung there, his enemies thought they were finally rid of him. Roman government thought they didn't have this nuisance to worry about anymore. His followers thought, we've lost him. And as the man for six hours on that Friday hung and writhed in agony and pain and had his enemies cast doubts and cast uh, insults at him, he took it. And as it is, he spoke seven curious things there while he was hanging there on the cross. But as he spoke his last one, it is finished. In John chapter 19, everybody thought it was over. One of his disciples, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, took the body, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a new tomb where no one had laid before. The Jews wanted to make sure that they were rid of him finally, once and for all. And they remembered what Jesus said about after three days, it was that he was going to rise from the dead and they were concerned that his disciples were going to come and say, let's steal the body away and perpetuate this resurrection hoax. And so what the Jews did is they went to the governor and they said, let's set a guard over this tomb. And the governor said, well, you have this Roman guard that's signed to you, you make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they set that Roman guard and they put a large stone in front of the mouth of that tomb and they set a seal on it under penalty of death and anybody should open this tomb. Can you imagine his disciples who had followed him for the last three and a half years and had followed his ministry closely and the despair that must have been going on in their hearts during this Passover feast. But early that Sunday morning, Some of the women there were going to anoint the body and going to uh, prepare it, and they had prepared about 100 100 pounds of aloes and spices to take there and to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they got to that tomb on Sunday morning, what did they discover? It was empty. But instead, there were two angels sitting there in that tomb, one at his head and one at his feet, and said, He is not here. He is risen. From that time, everything changed. From the time when uh, Mary saw Him there in the garden and thought that it was the gardener, and He revealed Himself to her and she said, Rabboni, teacher, master. And Jesus said, don't cling to me. And she went and she spread the word, and, and that word spread and that word spread. And over the next 40 days, Jesus proved Himself without a doubt to be alive again. You see, the man who had gone from being a prophet of Israel, a a wandering itinerant Jewish preacher, was now declared to be the Son of God with power according to the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters, that passage from Romans chapter 1 verse 4, as Paul gives his authority and ethos for being a preacher of the gospel and being an apostle of Jesus Christ, he bases that upon Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, being proved to be the Son of God with power or by the Holy Spirit, according to the resurrection from the dead. We cannot discount the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, as we celebrate it every single Sunday, as we think about it every single week, and as we bring our minds back to the Lord's table and remember, death and his burial, we have to remember we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. What difference has the resurrection made in your life? Not just on Sundays. What difference does the resurrection make every single day of your life? The resurrection is key to our Christian message. It is the center at which everything else revolves. If you have been a part of our Sunday morning Bible class, either here in the auditorium or over there in the annex, we have studied extensively the book of Acts and and all of the preaching and the teaching of those apostles there on those occasions. They're all the way from Acts chapter 2, all the way through the end of the book. And you know what it all hangs on? It all hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fact that He is the living prophet, He is God's authorized spokesman for this age, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. He is the one to whom we should listen. Why? Because He has the words of life. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because it wasn't possible that death should hold on to Him. What difference has the resurrection made in your daily life? I invite you, if you haven't already, to open up your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 6. Our lesson is going to come from there today. But I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about the difference that the resurrection made in the lives of others, but in us personally, what difference the resurrection makes because I don't think that we don't think about that too much. It doesn't necessarily make as big of an impact or as big as a difference as it ought to in our lives. And as we think about this today from Romans chapter 6, I want you to ask the question personally. How is my life different because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? We're looking this morning at elements of a resurrection and what parts of a resurrection changes and how it changes things. And how specifically it changes you and it changes me. Four elements of a resurrection that are important to us from Romans chapter 6. And as Paul gives this and talks about this, he's going to talk about each one of these things. Note the first one, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, from 1 through 10. Resurrection means for us that there's been a death that's taken place. When we talk about a resurrection, we're talking about a death having taken place. From the Latin term, we get our word resurrection, resurgere. It means an animation again, a resurgence, as we might talk about. The Greek term comes from two Greek terms, ana, meaning again, and stasis, meaning stationary, to stop or cease activity. Here's something that's stationary. What's going to start it moving again? Well, there has to be a force acting on it, right? Uh, Newton said an object at rest is going to tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by a force. Here's this stationary, this stasis, this immovable object. And now all of a sudden, Anna, it moves again. We might term it rising up. And we say somebody has risen from the dead. They're not laying down anymore, but they're up and they're animated once again. What we understand from the term resurrection is that there is a death that's taken place. To say another way, before a new life is given, there has to be a stopping or a cessation, a ceasing of something else that's taken place, of former things. There has to be a termination of the old life before it is that a new life can begin. Romans 6 is about a Christian's new mindset. It's a new way of thinking. But note what he's going to talk about them in terms of. He's going to talk using two terms primarily, the first one being death. Look in your Bible there, beginning of verse 2. What does he say? You may not note these in your Bible. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Look at the end of verse 3. As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Look at verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we've been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, his anastasis. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified, there's a death there with him, that the body of sin might be done, uh, sin might be done away with. We should no longer be the slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no longer any dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died once to all for all, but the life that He lives, He lives for God. Do you get the emphasis in these verses that death is important? There's a cessation of activity Of that dead man? There's a man that's no longer active anymore, but now there's a new life that's occurred based upon that? And how does the passage begin? Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Can we continue in a sinful lifestyle? Can we continue committing, practicing habitual sin as Christians once we've been resurrected? And the answer is no, absolutely not. You see, a life of sin, a perpetual, continual life of sin doesn't fit for a Christian, one who's been resurrected any more than a grave fits a body that's not dead. We can't go back because we died to those things. There has been a death that's taken place. And as that death takes place, we realize that it's also a continual process. uh, Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that we need to mortify our earthly members, our members which are on the earth. That means we have to continually put them to death. And as we put those things to death, we realize the power of the resurrection. I'm reminded of the story about a man who was known for his public prayers, and he would use this repeated phrase, Lord, brush the cobwebs or get the cobwebs out of our lives." God, get the cobwebs out of our life. And the preacher knew that man. He knew that man's struggles, and he knew that he was continually, as a Christian, continuing in certain things and activities. And as this man said, Lord, brush the cobwebs out of our lives, the preacher couldn't help himself. He said, kill the spider. I wonder how many times God would tell us as Christians, you're continually dealing with cobwebs, kill the spider. Maybe in our own lives, we need to kill the things that we were already dead to. Maybe we need to put back in the graves the things that we try and continually bring out of the graves, the things that we're dead to. I wonder if God would tell us this morning to kill the spider of gossip. I wonder if God would tell us this morning to kill the spider of envy. I wonder if God might tell me personally to kill the spider of lust or wrath or of selfishness, as Anthony talked about on Wednesday night. What would God tell us to get out of our lives because they're no longer fitting for a life for one who's been raised with Christ? What difference has the resurrection made in your life and in my life? Number two, a resurrection means a death has taken place, but a resurrection also means that there has been a new life that's been granted. Did you catch in all those 10 verses that we read just a moment ago, the contrast. Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. On the opposite end of the spectrum, note what he's contrasting here in Romans chapter 6. You were raised with Christ. What does that mean? That means I'm alive. We've been united, verse 5, and together in likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old man was crucified with him, so the body of sin Son might be done away with. We should no longer be a slave of sin. Verse 8, if we know that we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 11, likewise you also reckon, uh, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Note the life words in this passage. There is a resurgence, a new life that's been granted and a new life that's been given. There is a new purpose for which you're living. There is, as we sing sometimes, a new creature. The old life has passed away. The new is what remains. And we need to shine the glory of what happened. It is. We sometimes talk about a gift of life. We talk about with a new child the miracle of life, and we model our life after the one who gave us that life. A life life to God means that the life we now live is the life we live for the purpose of glorifying the one who made us alive. I don't live for myself anymore as a Christian, but as one who gave me new life, I realize I have a new master. I have a new calling. I have a new purpose, and glorifying him is everything that I do. And we talk about the, re, the new man being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, Colossians 3 and verse 10. He is the one whose likeness the Christian bears after he's raised with him in baptism. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some of you have already noticed, but I got new shoes this week. I don't know about you, but I usually have shoes until it is that I can feel the ground through my sock, that it is that there's a hole that's worn in the sole. And I don't think about it too much, but I have my lovely wife to be able to say, Andy, you need some new shoes. <laughs> and so I got these new shoes. And you know what? To be honest, they're a little bit uncomfortable right now. The leather's not necessarily broken, and you know, I, I, they haven't really conformed my feet just yet. But you know what I did with the old shoes? I put them in the shoe box that I got the new shoes out of, and I closed the box up. Can you imagine me taking these new shoes and saying, you know what, I'm just never going to get used to them. I'm never going to get comfortable with them. And so I just take the old new shoes and I put them away, and I get the old shoes back out, and I wear them until it is that I can feel my feet on the ground between because the sock is now worn away. You know, our new Christian life, God has given us something that's far better and far superior than anything we can imagine before. True? It's true. But the thing is, is that when we become a new Christian, you know what? Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us. Why is that? Because I'm not used to, perhaps, guarding my tongue. I like to tell people what I think, and I like to tell them in no uncertain terms what I think. But when the Lord says, listen, you let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, then all of a sudden I've got to think about what I say. Maybe it is you conduct yourself in unbridled lust beforehand. It didn't matter what came on the TV. It didn't matter what came on the radio. It didn't matter what came on the internet or on the computer that's that's sitting before me. I would look at those things or I would listen to those things or I would behave in certain ways that were in passions of lust like the Gentiles, as Paul would talk about in 1 Thessalonians 4. But now it is. As a new Christian, I've left those things in the grave. I'm dead to those things. I'm not going to continue in those things, as Romans 6 talks about. I have died to those things. And the life that I now live, I'm living for the glory of God. And you know what? That's kind of uncomfortable. I'm not used to it. But I recognize that I've been raised from the watery grave of baptism. I've been raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. But what happens or what should happen over time is the same thing that I should hope would happen to my shoes. Is that over time, I grow to appreciate the way they feel. I grow to appreciate the way it is that they make my feet feel. And as it is that uncomfortable becomes comfortable, it shouldn't be a thought in our heads to say, you know what? I'm just going to take these shoes off and I'm going to put them away in the closet and get the old ones back out because they were far more comfortable. We cannot go back to a life of sin. Why? Because that life of sin is in the grave. We buried it. We've left it behind. What's for us now is that we go forward glorifying God and letting the life of Christ become more comfortable to us, not less comfortable. We look to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. We look to Jesus, just like Paul said, imitate me, just like I'm imitating Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. And we follow after him in his footsteps. Christians, don't forget your new life. Christians, don't forget the responsibility that we have to walk according to the footsteps of Christ Jesus. To walk pleasing to the Lord and to follow after Him in everything we do. Resurrection means a death has taken place. Resurrection means a new life has been granted. Resurrection means also that there is a change in focus. There's a change in focus. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God to Christ Jesus our Lord. Note that. It's something that's happened But know what the word is, the verb. He says, reckon. You consider your life that way. You know what that is? That's a choice I make. That's a choice I make. I reckon myself. I think about that. And I say, no, I'm not going to participate in those old things because I've died to those things. Yes, I'm going to participate in these things that God wants me to do because I've died to those things. And I want to do the things that glorify him most. I'm going to glorify the one who has granted me that new life. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey your, that its lust. You know what that is? That's a choice. I have the choice to let sin reign in this body or I have the choice not to. But because I have been risen with Christ, raised with Him, I'm not going to do those things. Verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. There it is again. And of your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What is that? That's a choice I make. I don't present my body to be dead to to those things anymore, the things that i died to. I present my body to be alive to God through Jesus Christ. For sin, verse 14, shall have no more dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You know who I imagine the world's most confident man to be with regard to death, or one of him, one of them, for a chance? What about Lazarus? Lazarus in John chapter 11, remember the brother of Mary and Martha. And as it was, they were weeping over him. He'd been dead for four days, and here comes the Savior. And as Mary and Martha both fall at his feet and are weeping, and it is is that that they they say, Lord, I know that our our brother will rise again at the last day. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother is going to live again. And as he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, told them to roll away the stone, and with a loud voice cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Here comes this body. Out of the grave, still wrapped in the cloth that he was buried in. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall at the dinner there in Bethany and John chapter 12, with all of the apostles sitting around with Mary Martha up and serving, and Lazarus sitting right there in their midst. I would have loved to have been able to ask the question, Lazarus, what was it like? Lazarus, what did you see? Lazarus, what did you experience? But can you imagine Lazarus and his life from that day forward, from the time that the Lord woke him up? He was on a stasis. He was resurrected from the dead. Can you imagine his life from that point forward, living because he had known what was on the other side, because he had been past the past the curtain of veil of death, and he'd come back? I don't know if Lazarus had any memory of that, because the Bible doesn't say. I don't know if Lazarus was able to tell people again and again about what had happened on the, uh, to him on the other side or what he saw or what he experienced. But can you imagine having been one who had been there and also one who was going to return there at some point in his life? How it was that he faced that with confidence and how the change in focus of realizing what had been on the other side probably made him appreciate more of the opportunities of what he had right here. The change in focus. Do you suppose it made a difference in the way that Lazarus lived? The way that he talked to people? The way that people talked to him? The way that he faced suffering and hardship and adversity and difficulty? I would imagine he probably faced some of those things because you remember that the Jews knew that Jesus had performed that miracle and raised him from the dead, and they were trying to figure out a way that they could kill Lazarus to hide the miracle that was done. I can imagine Lazarus living his life with a steadfast confidence because he'd been to the other side. When Paul writes this in verses 13 and 14, don't present your members as members of unrighteousness and sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We see things as resurrected people differently than worldly people see things. We see things differently because we understand something about dying we understand something about dying to sin and being resurrected. And the Christian now walks by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse, or 5, verse 7. A resurrection means I look at those things by faith and realize I'm only here for a temporary time. I'm only here for just a brief occasion. I'm reminded of the story of the mother and father who were living in the 60s in a very tumultuous time, the Kent State massacre had just happened. There had been numerous war protests, and there had been numerous uh, uh, signs of public outrage, and 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 there were the, uh, they felt like the world was just going uh, south in a in a hurry. The world was crumbling, and they got news from their doctor that said we're pregnant, and they began to wring their hands and think about how in the world can we bring up a child in this world. How can we bring a child into this messed up society? How in the world can we live our lives recognizing that this child is going to face difficult things and, and hardships that we may never understand because the world is growing far more wicked? And this mother and father sat together and thought about what could give them hope. And they sat down and they penned these words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. And feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. When difficulty gets you down, we need to look to the resurrected Savior. When we get that diagnosis from the doctor that we don't want to hear, which means certainly a cessation of our life here on this earth, we need to look to the resurrected Savior. When we hear difficult words from our spouse or from our family, and we need hope in our darkest times, we've got to look back to the fact of the resurrected Savior. It's a change in focus. What we face here, brothers and sisters and friends, is temporary. What we face here is just but for a moment. But the glory that He gives is going to be everlasting. Last one this morning. A resurrection means a death has taken place. A resurrection means a new life is granted. A resurrection means that there is a change in focus, but there's also a change in appearance. A change in appearance. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're under law, not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Righteousness. But God, be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. As Paul shifts his language from being dead to alive, and from being crucified and buried to being resurrected and alive with Jesus Christ, he then turns and he talks about being slaves of sin. You know what? That tells me, number one, that we all serve somebody. We're all a slave to somebody. We can't change that. We can't change that we are always going to be under somebody's authority. And as Paul sets this in a duality and and, and a choice that we have to make, you can either be the slave to sin leading to death, or, or you can be the slave to God leading to righteousness. What's the difference? The difference is God has made the way through Jesus Christ. The difference is that I make that choice to be obedient to that form of doctrine to which we were delivered. Note what he says there uh, in Romans chapter 6 that we just read. But the resurrection has a change in appearance. You know, I can't imagine what it would have been like to see the resurrected body of Jesus, to see Jesus standing there and talking, and every time he, he would gesture or something to see that visible imprint of where the nails went through or maybe to be Thomas and say Thomas don't be unbelieving be believing here reach your hands into my hands reach your hand into into my side right here uh, Thomas I want you to feel these things I want you to know that these are the exact same wounds that I received up there on the cross the only difference is is that I'm alive now where men purpose death for me what a difference and you think about the wounds that you've been given based upon a sinful life that you've led prior. I appreciate faithful Christians that have visible tattoos. Again, I'm not endorsing anybody to get tattooed, but you know what? when you find somebody who's doing what he ought to do and trying to glorify God, having been set free from those things, and you realize you have a person who has come out of those things, and they still bear those marks of a lifestyle that was not lived to the glory of God, and you now look at their life and say, there's somebody that glorifies God, it's it's powerful for me. When I think about Paul, And how it was that he talked about bearing the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally the scars of service. Paul could lift up his shirt at any given time and you could probably see the imprints of where the the rod had beaten his back. And you could know that he suffered those things for Jesus Christ. There's an understanding that we bear the scars of maybe a life that we've died to. But then there's also an understanding of the bearing the marks that we are crucified people with Jesus Christ. That the same way that he had physical marks that he could look at. Brothers and sisters, we walk around every day with spiritual marks that people ought to see of a life that's not lived for ourselves anymore, but a life that's been risen with Jesus. A life that's been uh, buried with him in the waters of baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And every day we shine the light of a resurrected life because that's what God called us to. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus said, Whenever it is that you're persecuted, you don't turn and persecute again. I want you always, as Peter would say, the, inspired of the Holy Spirit, to be ready to give an answer to anyone who would ask you the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. And there may be those that revile our good conduct in Jesus Christ. There may be those who speak against us based upon the fact that we don't participate in the same way that other people did. And though they, don't, they don't understand the dynamic change that Jesus has made in our lives. Peter would talk about it in 1 Peter chapter 4 and say, listen, those things that you used to be a part of, the abominable idolatries and the revelries and the drunkenness and the the, the, the partying, all those things, all of the former friends that we used to hang out with in that old life of sin, they don't understand it. He says they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same excess variety. Why is it that you made a change in your life? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? The resurrected Jesus made all the difference. Whatever life I'm living now, I'm living to His glory, not to the glory of those temporary things that I've died to. That's the difference. And as I make that difference in my life, I appreciate more and more the power of the resurrected Jesus especially when those friends that I used to have and I used to run with and I used to hang out with and I used to party with still look at me and say, I don't get it. Why don't you just come down to the bar with us? We're just going to kick back a few beers and have everything. No, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Well, why don't you just uh, come down and and badmouth the boss with us like you used to? No, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Why not? Because I died to those things. I'm alive to Jesus Christ. That's a choice that I make but it's a position that God puts me in when I become a Christian. We are risen with Him. If we're New Testament Christians, we can't change that. We can't go and resurrect that old dead man of sin. We need to leave him in the grave. And we need to go forward into godliness. And go forward into Christ-likeness. And go forward into glory the resurrection makes all the difference if it is that we properly understand it. There was a story told of a Muslim man who was in Africa, and this Muslim man obeyed the gospel. He became a Christian. And we went back to all of his his, uh, old Muslim friends, and they couldn't understand it. They said, why in the world would you forsake the teaching of the prophet Muhammad and why in the world would you name Jesus and and obey the gospel and 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 be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Why would you do that? And the former Muslim man said this. He said, "Imagine this: you're there at a crossroads, and you're standing there looking down one way in the crossroad, and you look down the other way in the crossroad, and you realize you don't have any real way of understanding or knowing where to go. But standing there at the crossroads." is a living man, and laying down there as a the crossroads is a dead man. Who would you ask for directions? Would you ask the living man, or would you ask the dead man about which way to go? What sets Jesus Christ apart from every other religious teacher that's ever been or ever will be is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the fact that death had no hold on him because he lived his life sinlessly. You know what? I haven't lived my life sinlessly. You know what? Death is coming for me. But you know what? I don't have to stay dead. And through Jesus Christ and through the hope that he offers and through the fact that He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection makes all the difference that we have believed on a living Savior, not a dead Savior, not a dead prophet, not a prophet that's there in his grave that you can go and visit, but we serve a prophet who is not only a prophet, but he's also a priest, a mediator, a go-between between God and man. He's not just a prophet and he's not just a priest, but he's also king. We serve Jesus Christ because he now sits at the right hand of God. He is the one to whom God said, Behold, I've given you all authority in heaven and on earth. And whenever it is that he comes, and he comes in his judgment, you know whose word I'm going to be accountable to? Not the prophets of this earth. Not the people that I view as as good religious teachers or good moral and honest men. But how have I responded to the words of the prophet? the one who God has revealed and the one who God has witnessed and and given him power by the resurrection of the dead. You see the difference the resurrection makes. He is the one to whom we should listen. And he is the one to whom we should live our lives faithfully, wanting to be pleasing to him and to hear those words from him at the end of time. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you know the power of the resurrection this morning? Do you understand the difference that the resurrection ought to make in your life and my life? We've died to sin. We're alive to God through Christ Jesus. We're focusing daily on Him and presenting our members to Him as instruments of righteousness. And we are changed in appearance because we're now living a life that even though this body may grow old and wear out, it's still being renewed on the inside and it's still... A matter of you and I living for him. Get your songbooks out, please. Open up to the song of invitation that David announced just a few moments ago. We're thankful for your presence here this morning. Maybe it is that you are ready to obey the gospel. It is, Jesus said, through faith, repentance, and baptism, one can become a child of God. One can be raised with him in newness of life from what we looked at in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Maybe it is that you're a Christian. You need the prayers and encouragement of the congregation. We'd love to do that with you this morning. Whatever your need, if you would, to be able to make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song.